But last week we started a new series. We're talking about the believer's authority. And, uh, you know, it's really an important subject. I think oftentimes we, you know, we, we hear about it, we talk about authority and so forth, but we don't really understand that so much of what takes place is dependent upon us because we've been entrusted with the authority. And I think oftentimes we're waiting for, for God to do something, but we're waiting for him to do what he's already done. And he's given us the authority to, to move on. And so just picking up kind of where we left off um, last week, and we're talking about um, the fact that we're in a spiritual battle. And, and uh, sometimes we don't like to talk, we talk about those things, but it's so important because we do have an adversary out there. You know, it's like Brother Hagin always said, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so we have an adversary, the devil, the enemy, and he wants to bring death and destruction into our life. And uh, <clears throat> one of the worst things that, we, that can happen is if we're, we're ignorant of the, whales of the, the ways of the devil and uh, he can raise havoc in our lives. And so one of the ways that he, he tries to affect us, because really what he, what he wants to do, what he's able to do, he's able to influence us. And uh, one of the ways that he wants to influence, influence us, and this is what we're gonna start out talking about tonight, is he wants to do it with, with strife. And, uh, you know, really strife is one of those luxuries as a believer we can't afford. Um, we may think, well, strife is normal to life. Uh, well, no, it doesn't have to be. It better not be. Uh, we're, we're thinking wrongly. Uh, because what the enemy wants to do is he wants us to get into strife. And when we do that, we open the door. You know, because what the enemy is looking for is he's looking for an open door. He can't just come in, and we're going to see this in some of the scriptures that we read through this evening, but he can't just come into our life and, and bring destruction. We have to open the door to it. We have to give him the opportunity to come in. The Bible says that he's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so he can't just devour us because he's chosen to, to do so. Um, we, in some way, open a door. And one of those doors that we oftentimes open uh, is strife. Our God is a God of peace. And so, uh, and we've been created in his image and he's a God of peace. And so we're supposed to be living a life of peace. And where there's strife, um, we're not going to find uh, that peace. And so let's look at a couple of passages that talk about that. Um, the first one, and I know they're in your notes, but we're going to turn to them anyway. In Romans, the 15th chapter, in the 30, um, <clears throat> 33rd verse, it says, Now the God of peace be with you. And so if God's with us, and of course he's always with us, but if we're experiencing his manifested presence, uh, we're going we're gonna to be experiencing peace. When we don't have peace in our life, what that's indicating is that we're looking someplace other than to him. Because when we're looking to him, there's going to be peace. That doesn't mean that all the circumstances in our life are going to be uh, perfect. You know, the scripture they use on Sunday where, uh, where they were in the storm. 
And uh, Jesus spoke to the storm and he says, peace be still. Well, he spoke peace when everything was in turmoil. And, and that's how it is for us. We've got to be willing to speak peace when everything around us seems to be in turmoil, not being moved by the things that we see, but being moved by what the Word of God tells us. And so we're to be uh, people of peace. We're to walk in peace. In the 16th um, chapter, in the 20th verse, it says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And the, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And so, once again, we see the importance of peace, the God of peace. And so if God is a God of peace, um, we're to be a God of peace. That scripture passage in Genesis 1, 27, just simply says that we've been created in the image of God, in the image of God. He created man, male and female. He created us. And so we're created in the image of God. And so we're created um, to live in and to walk in peace. And where there's peace, there isn't going to be any strife. You know, because they're, they're, in, they're in direct conflict with one another. You know, Galatians, the fifth chapter, in the 22nd verse, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And so what that means is that, <clears throat> you know, I believe that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, everything that belongs to us was imparted into our life. And so it may not be manifest in our life, but it's been imparted into our life. And so what we need to begin to do is we need to begin to draw from our spirits so that we, we draw those things out so that they do manifest um, in, in the physical realm. But notice what it says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And so all those things are part of us right, right now. But we've got we've to recognize that, that it belongs to me right now. And so when I don't feel peace in my life, I need to begin to speak peace. It goes along with all the other attributes as well, whether it be love, whether it be joy. If I don't feel like I have joy, I need to begin to speak joy. But if I don't have peace in my life, I need to begin to speak peace so that that peace has the opportunity uh, to come out and to, to manifest in my life. And so we, we've got to, as it says in, in Ephesians, we need to stand against. Or, you know, to stand against there, it gives the uh, impression of fighting against something, resisting something. And so... <clears throat> When, when strife comes, tries to come against it, because it will. At every turn, strife will try to come against you. And uh, oftentimes we look at that individual and we say, that, well, that peaceful, that, that person is, so, is, is bringing strife into my life. No, it's, it's the spirit that's behind that. And so we're, we don't attack, attack an individual. We attack that, that spirit that's behind it, that spirit of strife. And the way that we do that is by speaking and releasing uh, peace into our life. Um, the enemy is trying to bring destruction into our life every single day. Um, he wants to overwhelm us. And one of the, 
things that he wants to do is he wants to cause us to be fearful. And how do we become fearful? We become fearful when we begin to uh, look at the circumstances around us, when we, when we begin to dwell, focus on everything that's going on around us. And, and you know, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, seek first the kingdom. And so what we're supposed to be doing is we're, we're to be seeking the kingdom. And part of that kingdom is, is peace. And so we're to seek the kingdom. And as we're seeking the kingdom, we deny the enemy the opportunity uh, to bring fear, to bring strife, to bring any of those things into our life. You know, I really believe that, you know, one of the roots behind fear uh, or, or behind strife is fear because we're, we're, we're fearful of, of, you know, how things are gonna work out or whatever it may be. And so that, that fear is a very uh, destructive thing that the enemy wants to bring into our lives. He, <clears throat> he wants to destroy the anointing. You know, the Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. And every one of us, whether we recognize it or not, we're, we're anointed by the Holy Ghost. And ultimately, it is, it is that anointing that, that breaks the yoke of bondage, that really brings freedom into our life. You know, the more that we recognize that, the more we're gonna be able to walk in freedom because the more that anointing is gonna be uh, available or prevalent in our life uh, to bring about the freedom that we, we so uh, desire. Without peace, what happens is it's like we, uh, we, we freeze up. We freeze up with fear. And, and once fear begins to dominate us, you know, fear is a, it is, it is such a destructive force. You know, I remember uh, before Christ when uh, I was dominated by fear. You know, I, I've, I've shared some of my ultimate fears of snakes and heights, you know, and of course, I think those are legitimate fears, you know, but, yeah, thank you, you know, you know, they, but, but, they, they should never paralyze you, and that's ultimately what fear will do, it will, it will paralyze you, um, you know, I, I remember years back, you know, uh, we were out west of town, there's a pond there, and I was out there with two other guys, and they were gonna show me their pond, and you know, and, uh, and so we're walking down the path, getting to the pond, and all of a sudden this snake goes across in front of me, and I, I tried to jump in one of the guy's arms, you know. You know, they, they, they think that's really weird when you, when you try to do that, you know, and it was just a garter snake, but you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what name it goes by, a snake is a snake as far as I'm concerned. And uh, they're to be headless. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but I mean, it, it, would, it would paralyze you. I can remember, you know, when I was, I was working construction, we were doing a job up in Bird Island, Minnesota, and we were, we were putting the rift um, uh, drains in the, over the gymnasium, and so, um, we, were, we were having to put uh, six and eight inch steel pipe in, uh, in the rafters. And so 
uh, we're up there and there's nothing between you and 30 feet down but air. And, uh, and of course, you know, OSHA would go nuts the way we used to work, you know, because we didn't have anything that was considered a, you know, safety thing, you know, because that just was encumbrance or what, what's the word? You know, we, we didn't have, of course, you know, we didn't wear hard hats, but I don't know what that would do falling 30 feet. You know, what, how would, you know, I, I could never figure out what was the point of having to wear a hard hat when I was, when I was connecting a faucet under a sink. You know, but, but according to OSHA, you were supposed to have a hard hat on. You know, it was just, it was ignorance. Ignorance gone to seed and producing harvest. But here we are up in the air and we would be to this very day still putting that steel pipe in those rafters if it was not for the, for the, for the steel workers. You know, because they would just walk from one to one. And, and you know, these, these pipes are, you know, they're, they're 20 foot lengths and six inch, so it's, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. And it's hard to move those pipes when you got one arm and one leg wrapped around the rafters trying to do it all with, with one arm. But I mean, I was petrified. I, I mean, I was petrified. And that's what, that's what fear will do. You know, and of course, I believe that's a legitimate reason to be petrified. But you know, there's a lot of people, they're just petrified to function during the day because of, of fear. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to bring fear into your life. I got a little bit of, you know, of course, all that was before Christ, that was BC. And, you know, I got saved. And, and when I was passed from my first church up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, I was working for this, farm, for this um, builder. I helped him out uh, when he needed some help. And he was building this, this two-story log home. And, and so the basement was still dug out around it. And so he had me up on the roof. And we had toeholds, but we didn't have the boards. We just had the, the toehold that we'd hang on to. And I was leaning over the edge, putting um, the soffit or whatever it was on it. You know, and then while I'm doing that, I'm looking over, I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, this could hurt. You know, and then I thought, oh, as high as I am, if I fall, I'm going to bust my neck and I'll be dead. I'll be in the presence of Jesus. Nothing to worry about. You see, there's a, there's a good side to everything when we look at it properly. But when, when fear comes against you, it keeps you from looking at anything properly. So this is the point. The enemy, the devil, wants to bring death and destruction. He wants to freeze us. In Roman numeral three in your notes, it says, Although many people would like to see blind eyes and deaf ears opened, terminal diseases healed, and dead, the dead raised, and financial blessing, they are not willing to spend the time yielding to and fellowshipping with the Lord in His Word, prayer, and obedience. They'd rather be out in the world indulging the flesh. You know, Brother Hagen, you know, when he had talked about faith, you know, because Brother Hagen had, had tremendous faith. You know, he taught on faith. That was his, that was his main subject. But he is, he'd always make this statement when he, was, when he was teaching on faith. He would say, you know, we've all been given the measure of faith. But the difference between me, my faith, and your faith is that I chose to do something with my faith. 
He chose to grow and mature. You know, yes, there was the anointing on Brother Hagin to preach and, and there was the anointing on Brother Hagin to lay hands on the sick and see him recover and so forth. But you know, <clears throat> he had to live by faith just like everybody else in, in his daily life. In fact, Dr. Colloy said, he said, as a preacher, your anointing will take you where your character won't sustain you. In other words, character is established by faith. That's where our faith is at work in our life. It's developing who we truly are as an individual. You know, anointing will take you beyond that. But you know, when push comes to shove, it always comes back to faith once again. Because if you look at the history of Pentecostalism, the history of the charismatic church and so forth, and the, the history of uh, the healing movement of the 40s and the 50s and so forth, a good percentage of those preachers didn't finish their race. They didn't finish strong. They ended up in sin, given their ministry and their life a bad name. For many of them, they're remembered for their fall, not for their successes. And the reason for it was, was the anointing of God is without repentance. The calls of God are, without, are out with, without repentance. So God doesn't remove the call. But what happens is you can be walking in those areas, but if you don't have the faith and you don't have the character behind it to sustain it, you'll event, your life will eventually crumble. You know, the two Jimmies were a perfect example of that. Thank God that Jim Baker has repented and he's, he's back in the ministry and so forth. And, and so is Jimmy Schwaggart. But you know, <clears throat> their, their lives, their ministries took them where their faith and their character couldn't sustain them. Well, I don't know about you. What we need to do is, is develop our faith, develop the authority that we have in the name of Jesus and recognize that authority and develop it and not fall by the wayside. You know, <clears throat> do you realize that uh, backsliding isn't a biblical principle? But in most circles, backsliding is taught and preached like it's the natural, the natural phenomena with anybody that gets born again. Now guess what? We can serve God faithfully all the days of our life. Oh yeah, there's gonna be ups and downs, but there doesn't have to be any moving backwards. We can continue to move forward and the way that we do that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews eleven fifteen, it says, and truly if they had called to mind what country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now that seems like kind of a strange scripture to throw in right there, but it's not at all. But because listen to what he's, he's talking about temp, being tempted. And he says, and truly, and he's speaking of the children of Israel. And he says, truly, if they had called to mind, if they had thought about, if they had dwelt on the country from which they came from, they would have been drawn back to it. In fact, in spite of what this passage says, they were. 
Because every time it got tough, what did the children of Israel say? Well, at least we had onions and lings or whatever it was back in Egypt. You know, we had it, we had it so good in Egypt. You know, what are we doing out here? God just brought us out into the desert to die because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. And you know, and bombs. Listen, it's miserable. You need you need to remember something. Your good old days weren't that good. But the problem is, is we, we look back to some of those things and, and what we remember is good. We forget about the, trying to think of a clean word to use. You know, it's a bunch of junk. And, but, but when we dwell upon it, what happens? We begin to be drawn back to it. And you know what? It happens in our life all the time. You know, being, um, bo getting born again during the charismatic renewal, it's easy to look back and think, oh man, you know, God, things are really happening back there, man. You know, there was the miracles and there were things happening, you know, it was, it was just so good. You know, if we could just have what we had back there in the, the 80s with the charismatic renewal, everything would be just so wonderful. You know, I remember some times back then when it wasn't all that wonderful. We didn't have any teachers. We didn't have an understanding of the Word of God. You know, we, we did a lot of, we were pretty granolic. You know what a granolic Christian is? They're a bunch of fruits, flakes, and nuts. You know, and we measured, we measured up to that because we didn't know any better. You know, and, and so don't, don't even be drawn back to that because we're not of the past. We're of the future. We're of the now. And so we're looking forward to what, what God is wanting to do in our life right now. And so we need to press forward. You know, and that, that's why, uh, you know, godly relationships are so important. You know, so that you can talk about something that evolves around spiritual things and good things because if we don't have that believe it or not we've got to have people that we can we can communicate with you know this this world that we live in is is full of strife it's full of unforgiveness it's full full of being judgmental and if that's what we hear that's what's good we're going to be drawn to and it's it'll it'll poison us it'll destroy us in ephesians 4 27 it says, nor or never give place to the devil. And the number one place that it talks about that is, is in our thoughts. Because when you think about something long enough, eventually it's going to come out of your mouth. And the moment that it comes out of your mouth, you own it. You know, I, I, I've said in the past, you know, I'm a, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've got stuff built all over this place. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a dreamer, and, and it's okay to dream. But, but the moment you open your mouth and you begin to talk, you're, you're committed to it. You, you own it at that point. And so in every area of our life, we need to watch the words that come out of our mouth, but it begins by being careful about what we receive in. You know, uh, because if we hear it long enough, 
And you see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take advantage of us. If we listen to it long enough, he's going to take advantage of us. And, and let me tell you something. He doesn't, pre, he doesn't play fair. And so uh, in, in Matthew 6, 31, in the King James Version, it says, uh, take no thought saying. In other words, what we really need to do is take thought in what we're saying. Take thought in the words that come out of our mouth. Because those thoughts are going to determine our attitudes. It's going to determine what, what, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we've got on the inside is eventually going to come out, and whether it be good or whether it be um, bad. Um, and I guess I got it in your notes. If you don't say it, it's not yours. You need to take on this attitude. I refuse to speak forth anything contrary to what I'm believing for. What are you believing for? Speak accordingly. In, in Psalms 141.3, it says, set a guard. Tells us, set a guard. Take a position of a guard. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. In other words, what's coming through those lips? We need to guard it. Proverbs 18, 22 and 21, it says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Listen to this, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. You know, I don't think we, 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 we say we do, but do we really comprehend the power of the words that come out of our mouth? What are we speaking? Are we speaking life? Are we speaking death? Are we speaking words? that line up with God and with his word? Or are we speaking words that line up with, you know, the flesh, the world, and the devil? You know, that's the choice that we have to make in our lives. In Ephesians, the third chapter, I'm going through this quick because we gotta quit here in about five or 10 minutes. But in Ephesians, the, um, the second chapter. Well, let me read Matthew 12, 37 first. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And so words are extremely important. We need to guard our words. You know, um, maybe we need to say fewer words if the words that are coming out of our mouth aren't positive. And then looking at Ephesians 3, 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you had heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to you for you, how that by revelation, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have uh, briefly written Always, and I should read on, but I'm reading the wrong chapter right there. 
But man, it was really good. I could just pick up right there and preach about the, the grace of God. But uh, in Ephesians 2, 1, I believe that was the Holy Spirit that led me to read that for somebody tonight. I'll never acknowledge the errors of my ways. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you he made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. Can I hear an amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In, in which once you walked according, once you walked. You used to walk this way. And once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, among who also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We we're just like the others. We we're just like everybody else. But you know what? We're not like everybody else anymore. We don't conduct ourselves that way any longer. We're not controlled and dominated by that any longer. Why? Because of what Jesus has done in our life. You know, the thing about the born again experience, it, it doesn't mean that you can't ever sin again. What it means is you don't have to. We don't have to. We, don't, we have the power, and this is where it comes back to power and authority. I mean, this ought to be just so real to us, but I know oftentimes it's not because we don't think about it, we forget about it, or we've never been taught it. But this is where our authority begins to step in, in full, realizing that sin no longer has dominion over me, and sin no longer has an audience with me unless I allow it. And so it comes, it comes down to me whether or not I'm willing to rise up. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, whose minds, this is talking about the world, this is what we were. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. But it's shown on us. We have the light. And so we're no longer blinded. And so we can no longer use that as an excuse. Our confession or our profession ought to be, I see the truth. I know the truth. The truth has set and is setting me free. I'm practicing, I'm developing the fruits of righteousness in my life. You and I, as born again believers, we are, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. You and I, it's an absolute impossibility <clears throat> for us to be more righteous than we are at this very moment because of the completed works of Jesus. But there's to be the fruits of righteousness developed in our life. And what does that mean? We're to look righteous. 
We're to demonstrate righteousness. When people see us, they, they're, to, they're to see a peculiar people because we don't, we don't look like the world any longer because of what Jesus has done in each and every one of our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Now when he tells you not to be deceived, he's warning us about something. He says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good behavior. And so if we spend all of our time dwelling upon the things of the world, why are we surprised when we look just like the world, when we act just like the world? And, and, and this company, I believe this can be interpreted in a broader sense than just simply the people that I hang out with. Now, now the people I hang out with, <clears throat> they're going to have the greatest influence in my life. And so that's the company that he's talking about. Now, by that, don't misunderstand what I'm saying because we can say, well, you know, then I guess we better never hang out with anybody that's, that's not saved because they might, they, they might corrupt my behavior. Well, uh, how do we get people saved unless we hang out with them? But this is the point. Do you always hang out with people? Are you most comfortable with people that are unsaved. We ought to be most comfortable with people that are saved so that it, it, it um, affect, affects us. It's going to say afflicts us, but the same thing. <clears throat> and, and so then when we go out into the world, we have, a, we have a pull, we have a draw on them, but we always have to return to that company of believers to be edified, to be built up, to be ministered to. You know, that's why Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings are so important, to be built up, to be strengthened, so that when we're out into the world, that the world doesn't have the impact upon us that the enemy wants it to have upon us. Let's read 100 and Psalms 101.3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the works of those who fall away. I shall not, it shall not cling to me. I will set, I will, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And so that can be um, the company that we keep, that can be uh, the programming that we watch, that can be the the movies that we go to, that, that what do we focus on? That's what this is talking about. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. <clears throat> you know, I, I just encourage you to take these notes and consolidate some of these scriptures because let me tell you something. Every one of these scriptures that are, that are in your notes tonight are, are scriptures that are essential to walk in the authority that we have as a believer. And so I would just encourage you to consolidate them, put them on a piece of paper so that you can read through them periodically and so forth. But notice 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, 
Be vigilant. That means be serious and apply yourself. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, notice whose adversary he is. He's your adversary, the devil. Walks about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he can't just devour us because he wants to. He's seeking out who he may devour. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we've already read that. Ephesians 4.27, we've already read that. James 4.7, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We have the ability within us to submit to God. But you know what? If we're not submitting to God, we're going to have a very difficult time resisting. Because every thought, every desire will be the way of the world. But when we begin to submit to God, He becomes our desire. He becomes the one we focused on, we focus on. And so when we disobey God, and this is why obedience is important. When we disobey God, we open the door for the evil one. And so you and I, we have authority. We have authority to say no. We need to use that authority. And we need to be very specific about the usage of that authority. Because we do have an adversary, the enemy, who wants to destroy us. And so uh, what we're going to do now is we're just going, I'm going to excuse you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And uh, we're going to go downstairs and the kids have a little, uh, I don't know if it's drama or what exactly they're doing for us tonight. But they have a little program they wanted us to, um, to see. So I just encourage you to go down and, uh, because it really blesses the kids to have the opportunity to, to bless us. So, uh, ciao.